Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right. Hey, good morning, Mercy family. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I have with me here uh, this morning, David Irvin. David's a member of our church. He's also, he runs a ministry right here locally called Missionary Athletes International. You may know them through one of their ministries, the Charlotte Eagles. Um, David has some firsthand experience with a ministry we are partnering with next week for our Easter offering, Elam Ministries, that's there on the ground in the country of Turkey, providing relief through local churches uh, to people in need after the earthquakes. And I wanted David to just take a minute, uh, share kind of a little bit more about who he is, and then we'll talk about that ministry. So David, introduce yourself to our church here. Yeah, good morning. Again, my name's Dave Urban. I'm the CEO of Missionary Athletes International. Locally, it's uh, the Charlotte Eagles. Uh, If you don't know us, we use the game of soccer as a vehicle to share the gospel all around the world. What we do internationally is we partner with local churches, denominations, and organizations to make sure that the ministry that we do is connected to the local church. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Uh, I've gotten to know just this organization a little bit through the years, through the Charlotte Eagles. Um, I want you to tell us a little bit about Elam Ministries, the ministries that we're going to be giving our offering towards uh, our Easter offering next week. Yeah, Elam is an amazing group. Um, their mission is to strengthen and expand the church in Iran and beyond. Um it's been an incredible privilege to be able to go there. I've been there three or four times now and just came back with my son uh, this past month. Uh, we've been over there training coaches there on how you use the game to, to reach uh, youth there. Uh, currently, there's 27 cities that are operating soccer ministry. And it's been an amazing privilege to get to see and hear testimonies of people giving their life to Christ. Um, as, you re- as you mostly recall, February 6th, there was a terrible earthquake in, in Turkey on the Turkey and Syrian border. Over 50,000 people perished during that earthquake. Elam Ministry is so equipped to be able to go and serve and, and touch uh, the lives of those that are really being impacted in devastation of the earthquake. Uh, they've been doing a lot of work there already. The ministry or the, the funding that we'll be giving through this church will be going directly to help those who have been most impacted by it. But most importantly, they also will allow them to be able to, uh, to share the gospel with those who are most in need there. Um, y'all, that checks off a whole lot of boxes at the heart of Mercy Church. We send God's people to all people. We have such an opportunity to participate in that through this offering. It also goes to reach the unreached. It goes to care and share the love of Jesus with people, both in physical need and sharing the gospel. It's, um, it's a remarkable opportunity we have to be a part of the gospel advancing among an unreached people group um, through this offering. So I'm really excited. David, thank you for taking just a minute and sharing with us, brother. I appreciate you, man. Um, so this morning, uh, preaching God's word for us, I'm very excited to tell you, we have this, uh, this individual preaching for us, just a real specimen of a man. I mean, he is really smart, uh, really good looking. Unfortunately, he couldn't be here. So our student pastor, um, Brad Bolden is going to come and preach God's word. Would you at both campuses welcome Pastor Brett Bolden 
how to say it goes, man. And appreciate you. Love you, man. Well, hey, good morning, Mercy Church. How we doing? Pastor Spence, love you. Don't appreciate that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, hey, want to say good morning to y'all. Uh, Mercy Northeast, it is so uh, good to be preaching to you this morning. I know that all of y'all are just looking beautiful today. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to be opening God's word. If you, if uh, we've never met, my name is Brett. I'm our student pastor here. Mercy students, what's up? Okay. Yeah, we got a couple representing this morning. Um, y'all really excited to be, uh, to be doing this. If you have your Bible, you can flip over to 1 Samuel 25. We're going to be continuing through our series of 1 Samuel. And as you are flipping there, I want to ask you a simple question to start our time, which is, do you know what your name means? Do you know what your name means? So for me, I did a quick Google search of what Brett means. And apparently my name refers to the Celtic people of Britain, France. So no disrespect to the French, but I can honestly say I wasn't super pumped about that. Like I was hoping my name would just mean warrior or handsome, but as we heard from Pastor Spence, that's clearly not the case. But for you, do you know what your name means? And y'all, we live in a time now where names don't have a ton of meaning. I mean, sometimes they do, but in North Carolina, there really are a lot of Billies and Dales for no reason. Their parents were like, man, I just love that name. And thus, Dale Earnhardt was born. But in the Bible, names meant a lot. They had specific meanings, and there were reasons why God had certain people take on certain names. Think about Isaac. His name means son of laughter. Sarah literally laughed when Isaac was born because she couldn't believe that God would allow her to uh, give, uh, to have a child with her barren womb. Think about how Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter or Petros, which in the Greek means rock because Peter was going to become the rock of the church. Think about Moses asking the Lord, Lord, who shall I say, who shall I say sent me? And the Lord responds, tell them I am sent you. Names in the Bible are really important. And in our text today, we're going to put a spotlight on three people, David, Nabal, and Abigail. And what we're going to see is that these three people have very specific Hebrew names, which tell us something about how God was going to use them. And I think the big point from all of it that we're going to see is that God will use anyone to accomplish his purposes. God will use anyone to accomplish his purposes. So God's purpose this whole time in the book of Samuel has been to set up David as the king of Israel. And in our story today, this is simply a step further in this direction. So here's what we're going to do. There's a lot of moving pieces in this text. So I'm going to be summarizing a bit to get us to the finish line. And what I would encourage you to do just from the jump is I'd encourage you to go back after church or some, at some point this week and to read this text for yourself, because I believe that will help you to digest a little bit of everything that we talk about today. But I'm going to introduce to you our three characters. I am going to uh, talk to you about who they are and how God used them for his purposes. And then we're going to see that God intends to use us for his purposes. Does that sound good? All right. Everybody got their coffee? All right. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. We're here in your name. God, your word is before us. And we believe that you have given us your word, that it is breathed out by you. And that it's profitable for us every single time that we open it and read it together. And so God, speak through me. 
I pray that your words would be heard, not mine. And Lord, if there is anything that is not true to your word that comes from my mouth, please take it away. God, speak to the hearts of these people. You have brought them here for the glory of your name. And I just thank you that we can gather together and do this, Lord. So we love you. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, 1 Samuel 25, verse one. You guys ready? All right, let's go. Verse one, here's what it says. Samuel died and all Israel assembled to mourn for him and they buried him by his home in Ramah. David then went down to the wilderness of Paran. All right, this doesn't have a ton to do with our text today, but for the sake of the sermon series as a whole, I wanna stop here just for a second because this is big. Samuel dies. Y'all remember Samuel from this series? Like if you don't remember him, just look to the top of your page. You'll see first Samuel, that's the guy. That's the one we're talking about. They named the book after this guy. Samuel is a big deal. And in a sort of ironic way, the author reveals to us that he's died. And I think it's ironic because even with all of his accolades as serving as the national prophet over Israel, there's only one sentence that's given to him about his death. He dies and Israel gathers together to, to mourn over him, but then we're just moving on. And here's what this tells us. Though the book of 1 Samuel is named after him, the book is not ultimately about him. And guess what? The book's not ultimately about David either. So Sunday school moment for everybody. Who do y'all think the book is about? Jesus. Jesus. Yes, that's good. Yeah, you guys are tracking. All right, so our text continues. It says, David went down to the wilderness of Paran. And that leads us to our first point today, which is this. God will use an unqualified candidate to accomplish his purposes. God will use an unqualified candidate to accomplish his purposes. So just to get us up to speed with where we are in the narrative of 1 Samuel, we've jumped forward a little bit, so I wanna catch us up. So we've seen Samuel serving as the national prophet over rebellious Israel. God provides for them time and time again, and yet they're rebellious, so they're dissatisfied with God and they want a king to, be, uh, to rule over them. And so that's where Saul comes in. God provides a king. And Saul is anointed king over Israel, but he turns out to be kind of a dud. Like he, he doesn't do his job of killing Agag. And really he's super prideful the whole time that he's leading. And so we meet David, this lowly shepherd boy, who by all intents and measures was totally unqualified to be king. He was the smallest of all his brothers. He was from the small and obscure town of Bethlehem. And he literally took care of sheep for a living. Yet he was the one that God had in mind to replace Saul and to uprightly rule over Israel. And he, so he's anointed by Samuel to be the king. And last week we learned about David and how he's been on the run from Saul. At this point, David hasn't yet been crowned king, but all signs are pointing to Saul being dethroned and David taking his crown. And Saul hates it. And so from chapters 20 to 25, there's story after story of Saul literally trying to kill David. We learned about this last week, but he had this spear. He was literally just throwing that thing everywhere. And uh, Pastor Spence said he had the aim of a stormtrooper, which is pretty accurate. And then that brings us up to speed with where we are in chapter 25, where David heads southward into the wilderness of Paran because he's still on the run from Saul. Y'all track it with me? All right. So our first point is that God will use an unqualified candidate to accomplish his purposes. 
Y'all, this is really cool because in Hebrew, David's name means beloved. David's name means beloved. So despite David's unimpressive resume, God loved him so dearly. I mean, think about it. He chose David, a lowly shepherd, to be the king over all his people. Like there's a sermon in that just alone. In, in that alone. He delivered David from the hand of Goliath. He delivered him from being killed in many battles. And he delivered him from being killed by Saul multiple times before and after the story that we're in today. God's hand was with David because David was his beloved. And I won't belabor this point for long because the text today really isn't about David. But y'all, the truth that you can cling to today is that no matter how unqualified you feel from being used by the Lord, let David be a reminder that God shows no partiality when he's choosing who he's gonna use in mighty ways. That doesn't mean that you should see yourself as David. We've learned that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that God's character is that your resume doesn't matter to him. God takes lowly, unqualified candidates and he employs them to be used for building his kingdom. But back to where we are, David's in the wilderness. And while he's there, he and 600 men that he's with protect the shepherds of a certain man named Nabal. And because of this valuable service, David requests that he would be given some food from Nabal to keep him and his men alive. So let's pick up in verses four through eight in our text. This is what it says. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So David sent 10 young men instructing them, go up to Carmel. And when you come to Nabal, greet him in my name. Then say this, long life to you and peace to you, peace to your family and peace to all that is yours. I hear that you're shearing. When your shepherds were with us, we did not harass them and nothing of theirs was missing the whole time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men and they will tell you. So let my young men find favor with you for we have come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have on hand to your servants and to your son, David. All right. So David's men come very respectfully to Nabal. They offer three blessings to him. They come at a time of uh, sheep shearing, which means that this was a happy time of celebration where someone like Nabal would have had more than enough on hand to give. And these men ask for whatever Nabal has on hand. We're gonna find out that Nabal was a very rich man. And so this really wasn't a huge ask. Like he was essentially asking Nabal for some PB and J's and some juice boxes, like literally just something to tie them over. But David's request gets turned down hard from Nabal. And that leads us to our second point, which is this, that God will use a fool to accomplish his purposes. God will use a fool to accomplish his purposes. And that fool is Nabal. So his name translated in Hebrew literally means fool. And this is how the text introduces him. Looking back at verse two, it says, a man in Maon had a business in Carmel. He was a very rich man with 3000 sheep and 1000 goats and was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The man's name was Nabal and his wife's name, Abigail. The woman was intelligent and beautiful but the man, a Calebite, was harsh and evil in his dealings. So here are a few things right off the bat that we learn about Nabal. Number one, he was a fool. We learned that from his name alone, but Hebrew readers would have been aware of this the moment that they started reading about him. Number two, Nabal was very rich and he was a big deal. This man wasn't just rich, he was very rich, what the text says. Like think Jeff Bezos type. He didn't just have animals, he had thousands of animals. 
He had his own business too. By the world's standards, Nabal had made it. Like this guy probably drove an electric camel and had a yacht. Like he was loaded. The third thing we learned about Nabal is that he was a Calebite. So Calebites were considered family in the tribe of Judah. And they were given the city of Hebron, which is uh, in its surrounding territories. So think like Southern part of Israel. And this turns out to be a really big detail in our story today, actually. And then the fourth thing we learn about Nabal is that Nabal had an amazing wife. The text said he had a wife named Abigail who was beautiful and intelligent. And we don't know how he got her, but we can conclude that Nabal definitely outpunted his coverage here. And what we're going to see is that Abigail literally ends up saving Nabal's life. And in verse 10, we see the foolishness of Nabal on display as he responds to David's men after they request these provisions for him. This is what verse 10 says. Nabal asked them, who is David? Who is Jesse's son? Many slaves these days are running away from their masters. Am I supposed to take my bread, my water, and my meat that I butchered for my shears and give them to these men? These men, I don't know where they're from. Y'all, you hear his language here? You want me to take my food and my water and give it to this guy, David? Yeah, right. Get real, David. Not only does Nabal wrongly assume that all that he has is his, but he refuses this request that was made and he belittles David, God's beloved, in the process. He likens him to a slave that had escaped and was mooching off of people's land. And y'all, this is a little speculation, but I, I just find it hard to believe that Nabal wouldn't know who David is. I mean, David was famous throughout all of Israel. He was the one who would kill tens of thousands of people. They literally like wrote a song after that. And he was God's anointed king. But even still, Nabal acts like a fool and both insults David and rejects his humble request. But God will use a fool for accomplishing his purposes. The text goes on to tell us that when David catches wind of this response, he calls for 400 of his men to strap on their swords because they're going to go and kill Nabal and all of his males. Like it was about to go down, y'all. This was about to be a scene out of the gladiator. Like they were going for Nabal. And in all of this, God's purposes were being accomplished because what we see from this response from David is that Nabal is not the only fool here. But for a brief moment, David acts like a fool. I mean, up until this point, we've seen David's life being hunted down time and time again. And he responded by turning the other cheek, just as the Lord would have him. But here in this moment, he completely forgets the command of the Lord, which is this, Leviticus 19, 18. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against the members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. All bets were off of David obeying God in this moment. Like this man was hangry. And if you don't know what hangry is, hungry, angry. We've all been there before. And what this was, was a foreshadowing of the flawed king that David would actually prove to be. In 2 Samuel, we're going to see him commit adultery with Bathsheba. He impregnates her and then he kills her husband, Uriah. He was God's beloved, but he was also a fool. And ultimately this response from David points us to the king who would come from the line of David, but who would never act foolish and who would respond to insults and mocking, not by strapping on a sword, but by going to a cross. 
God used Nabal, the fool, to show us the foolishness of David. And what we'll see is that God also uses Nabal in another way, which is through his death, which allows for David to be crowned as king in 2 Samuel in the city of Hebron, but that's later on. But friends, let us take caution as we learn about Nabal. The reality is that God is going to accomplish his purposes in our world one way or another. And he will either use us as a tool for building his kingdom or he'll use us as an example. He used Nabal as an example because despite his wealth and despite his celebrity-like prominence, he was a fool. God had given him all of these gifts and he had made the grand mistake of thinking that all of his possessions were his. And God used him as an example because of it. And y'all, for us, it is a surefire thing that God will also use us as an example if we are selfish with the things that God has given us. And if we believe that the things that we have are ours and not the Lord's. And y'all, let's also learn from David here that as followers of Jesus, we're called to be people who don't respond in anger and rage, but who love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. That's Matthew 5, 44. James says that we should be people who are slow to speak, slow to anger and quick to listen. And y'all, this won't be easy. Like this won't be easy at all, but it will be worth it for us because when we do those things, we give glory to God. And as we just saying, God is worthy of it all. And y'all, just a side note, if you're hangry, eat a Snickers bar. Like we learned this from Betty White. You are not you when you're hungry. All right, that leads us to our final point, which is this that God will use regular everyday people to accomplish his purposes. And that regular everyday person was the beautiful and intelligent wife, Abigail, whose name in Hebrew means source of joy. And she definitely was a source of joy as we're gonna see. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read a big chunk of our text here, and it's gonna lay out for us what the rest of this story looks like. So we're gonna pick up in verse 14, if you're following along. Here's what it says. One of Nabal's young men informed Abigail, Nabal's wife, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed at them. Skipping down to verse 18. Abigail hurried, taking 200 loaves of bread, two clay jars of wine, five butchered sheep, a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she said to her male servants, go ahead of me. I'll be right behind you. But she did not tell her husband. Verse 23, skipping down a little bit. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off the donkey and knelt down with her face to the ground and paid homage to David. She knelt at his feet and said, the guilt is mine, my Lord. But please let your servant speak to you directly. Listen to the words of your servant. My Lord should pay no attention to this worthless fool Nabal, for he lives up to his name. His name means stupid and stupidity is all he knows. I, your servant, didn't see my Lord's young men whom you sent. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, it is the Lord who kept you from participating in bloodshed and avenging yourself by your own hand. May your enemies and those who intend to harm you be like my Lord Nabal. All right, I wanna pause here real quick. I'm gonna pick back up in verse 27. But I just wanna say the way that this is written, it makes it seem like Abigail already knows that David is gonna relent and that Nabal is gonna die. And there's a debate on why it's written this way, but many scholars think that it's because of uh, an editor's error. Needless to say, it's not super significant for the story, but in case any of you are confused by that, just wanted to point that out. 
Take him back in verse 27. Verse 27 is what this says. Let this gift your servant has brought to my Lord be given to young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive your servant's offense for the Lord is certain to make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because he fights the Lord's battles. Throughout your life, may evil not be found in you. And then verse 35, then David accepted what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. See, I have heard what you've said and have granted your request. Abigail is the main character of our text today. And that's because this woman who by all intents and purposes was just a regular everyday woman. Not only does she save the life of her husband, but she saves the lives of thousands of innocent people who would have fallen by the hand of David. And here's what I mean when I say that she was just a regular everyday person. At this point, the only thing that we know about her was that she was Nabal's wife and that she was intelligent and beautiful. Like the text doesn't give any more detail than that. It doesn't say that she's the leader of some ministry or some business. She's not famous. She's not some incredible philanthropist or activist who you would expect to see saving thousands of lives. She was someone who you'd pass by in the grocery store and you probably wouldn't even notice. By the world's standards, she was an ordinary woman who God decided to use in in an extraordinary way. And if you look back at verses 21 and 22, David had actually vowed to kill Nabal and all of his males. Like he was dead set on going to get vengeance. And when Abigail hears how Nabal had responded to David's servants, she immediately knows that all of her people are in trouble. So she loads up on the provisions that Nabal wouldn't provide and goes to intercede on his behalf. And y'all, as I was reading the text, I was so struck by what she said to David in verse 24. She said, the guilt is mine, my Lord. Friends, we can't miss this. The Lord uses Abigail, this regular everyday person, as a crystal clear picture of Jesus. Normally throughout the scriptures, we see David being the one who's a picture of Jesus, but this time it wasn't David, it was Abigail. Because like Nabal, we stand guilty before God the Father. We've been so selfish for our entire lives. We've looked at the things that we have, our time, our talents, our treasures, and we've said, mine. When in reality, all of it is a gift from God. Romans 3.23 tells us that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of our sin, the Bible says that the wage that we have earned is death. That's Romans 6.23. But Jesus who by the world's standards appeared to be an ordinary man, went before God the Father and said on our behalf, the guilt is mine, my Lord. Jesus took the punishment that we deserved upon himself on the cross. He offered to the Father the payment of his perfect blood. And three days later, so we're gonna celebrate next week at Easter, Jesus defeated sin and death and he rose from the grave. And now to anyone who would call upon his name, he gives his robes of righteousness and grants them eternal life and keeps them from being destroyed. Y'all, Abigail, this regular everyday person points us to Jesus. God used her to accomplish his purposes. This is why the name source of joy is so fitting because she points us to the one who literally brings joy to the world. 
And y'all, not only did Abigail keep thousands from being killed, but she also kept David, God's anointed king, from sinning grievously against the Lord. He was about to go do something that would have made him just as guilty as Nabal. But because of Abigail, he was kept from it. I think something else that we see from this text is just such a clear picture of how God uses women to accomplish his purposes in our world. Like without Abigail interceding, who knows what would have become of David? It reminds me of my grandmother, who was really the one that the Lord used for me to come to know Jesus. Grandmommy was just a regular everyday person. She was a high school teacher. She had grown up in Franklin, North Carolina, but she lived her life devoted to Jesus. And when she passed away in 2015, something clicked in me about her life because she faced death with more bravery and confidence than anyone else that I'd ever seen. Her identity was rooted in Jesus. And she knew that she'd be with Jesus when she died. And I remember the day that she died waking up and something had clicked in my soul. And her death was the very thing that God used to lead me to repentance. God used her to rescue my soul. I think about my wife, Marley, who has pointed me to Jesus more than anybody that I know. Like she is the godliest person that I've ever met. And I promise you, I would not be standing on this stage if it weren't for her. God is in the business and always has been of using women to build his kingdom in mighty ways. And we see that through Abigail in this text. To both men and women in here, if you feel like you are just a regular everyday person, maybe you feel like you're constantly being overlooked, be encouraged by Abigail. God shows no partiality and If you'll simply be faithful to Jesus, he will use you to build his kingdom and to accomplish his purposes. And he'll use you right where you are. And my guess is that for many of you in this room, he's already doing that. God will use regular everyday people to accomplish his purposes. And so as the story continues to unfold, Abigail returns to Nabal and she finds him drunk. No surprise there. And so wisely, she waits until the morning when he's sober to tell him what had happened. So look at what the text says. We're in verse 37 now. In the morning, when Nabal had sobered up, his wife told him about these events. His heart died and he became a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal dead. Sheesh. God sure did use Nabal as an example, didn't he? And in movie-like fashion, when Nabal hears about how his wife had just saved his life, he's in such shock that he has some sort of a stroke or a heart attack and it leads him to become paralyzed. And the text says that the Lord struck him down 10 days later. And then we're looking at verse 39. It says, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord who championed my cause against Nabal's insults and restrained his servant from doing evil the Lord brought Nabal's evil deeds back on his own head. The Lord had brought vengeance despite David's initial foolish response. God keeps him from sinning. He treats him as as his beloved. And then he brings the vengeance that David was gonna try to seek out for himself. And the way that the text concludes is that David actually ends up sending for Abigail so that he can marry her, which she does. And y'all in marrying Abigail, this is wild, David inherits all of Nabal's wealth and he marries into the Calebite tribe. 
And this was the very thing that allowed him for, for David to be crowned as king in the city of Hebron in 2 Samuel 2. That's pretty crazy. It's a storybook ending. God's purposes of establishing David as king were accomplished. And they were accomplished through an unqualified candidate, through a fool, and through a regular everyday person. God will use anyone to accomplish his purposes. So here's where I want to land this plane for us today. I want us to take all that we just heard, and I want us to apply this text to our lives. And so as you hear the story of 1 Samuel 25, and you hear of these three characters, David, Nabal, Abigail, which of these do you find yourself relating to the most? Again, we are not these people in the scriptures. It's not what I'm saying. The author's intention for us is not to think that we are, but I do believe there are some practical ways that we can identify with them and learn from them. And so when you think about David, do you feel like someone who is just totally unqualified to be used by God? Like when you think about your life, you can't just help but ask yourself, why would God ever use someone like me? I think about students in our student ministry, sixth to 12th grade. Y'all are in this room, maybe you're at Northeast, you're in that room and you're surrounded by people who to you seem way more experienced and way more capable of making a gospel impact in our world than you do. But if you've been in our student ministry for long, you know that like we wanna see a gospel awakening happen in the city of Charlotte that's carried to the ends of the earth. And I wanna see it happen through middle and high school students. And that's because I know that God can change the world through you, student. He's not worried about your age. He's not worried about anything like that. He wants to use you in your schools, on your sports teams, in this church. You're the next generation that's gonna carry the torch of taking the gospel message to the world. And guess what? That torch has already been passed. And I believe the Lord wants to use you. I think of people in middle management at their companies, or maybe they're even at the bottom of their totem pole. And when you go into work every week, it's so easy to ask yourself, what impact am I actually making when I come through these doors? Friends, if this is you, look at David. God handpicked him, the runt, out of all of his brothers and chose to use him as king over his people. And even after God chose him, David wasn't perfect. Like he made mistakes, just like we see in our text today, but God still used him to build his kingdom. And there are so many other examples in the scriptures that we see. Moses, Moses had a speech impediment and literally doubted God probably more than anybody else ever. Yet he was the one that God chose to deliver his people out of slavery. Think about the disciples, 12 uneducated common men. And the Lord chose to use their ministry as the primary reason that we have the gospel here and now. I think about Mary, a poor teenage girl from a no-name town. And she was the one that God chose to use to bring the savior of the world into this world. Y'all, the Lord is not concerned with what you bring to the table because in all actuality, none of us brings anything anyway. That means that your resume, your age, your status, your job title is not what qualifies you to be used by God. God is the one who qualifies. And y'all, he loves using unqualified candidates to accomplish his purposes in our world. And so the question is, will you allow him to use you where you are right now? Maybe you relate to Abigail. You feel like a regular everyday person. 
and you think to yourself, there's nothing really special about my life. Maybe you feel like the person at the grocery store who gets passed by everybody and nobody even thinks twice about you. When I was thinking about this, my mind went to stay-at-home moms because I know that there are so many stay-at-home moms that are in our church. And uh, I just want to speak to y'all for a second. That's okay. Like I can imagine that some of you relate to Abigail and that you feel like a regular everyday person. You wake up, you take care of the house, you run the errands, you teach the lessons, you make the meals, you scrub the crayons off the walls, you change the diapers, and then you go to bed and you do it all over again the next day. And even with how hard you're working and how worn out you are, how hard you're laboring so hard over this, every day goes mostly unnoticed by everyone in the world. Can I give y'all a quick word of encouragement? Y'all, I really believe that you, stay-at-home mom, might have the most important job in the whole world. I believe that you, out of anyone else, might have the single largest opportunity to make a gospel impact in our world. That's because every single day that you're taking care of your kids, they are soaking in from you how you follow Jesus. They're learning from you more than they're learning from anyone else in the world, what it means to follow Christ. And they are undoubtedly gonna take those things with them into the world. And so your life, your ministry to them, how you read your Bible, how you pray, how you serve your family, how you respond to them with patience and grace, how you turn back to Jesus after losing your mind, that's gonna be the reason that someone else comes to know Jesus. Your job is so important. And y'all, the text tells us that Abigail impacted one life, David's. And as a result, she saved thousands of lives. And what this means, y'all, is that your circumstances don't dictate whether or not God will use you for accomplishing his purposes. If you will faithfully pour yourself out into one person, whether that's your kid, whether that's a coworker, whether that's a roommate, the Lord will use you to accomplish his purposes in ways that we can't even begin to think or imagine. What you are doing right now is not meaningless, no matter where you are. And so turn your eyes back to the Lord and trust that he has you where you are for the very reason of accomplishing his purposes through you. Lastly, maybe you feel like you relate mostly to Nabal, like you've been living as a fool. Maybe you really identify with his selfishness. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's that you know you've been avoiding obeying God for a long time and you feel like it's probably too late to turn back now. You feel like you're on the fast track to being used as an example by God rather than being used as a tool for building his kingdom. And y'all, as simply as I can put it, it's not too late. It's not too late. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has gone to the cross on your behalf. He's died for your sins and he has been raised back to life And his call for you today is to place your faith in him and to receive the robes of righteousness that he's ready to give to anyone who would call upon his name. And in exchange for those robes of righteousness, he'll take your baggage on himself. Your shame, your past mistakes, your current mistakes. The Bible says that the Lord holds your sin as far as from the east is to the west and that he's borne our shame upon the cross so that we can walk free in Christ. If you feel like a fool today, you're not disqualified from the Lord using you as a tool for building his kingdom. So turn to Jesus and receive the forgiveness that he is offering today.
It's completely free. You just have to be willing to turn from your ways and to receive it. And so will you receive Jesus today? God will use anyone to accomplish his purposes, y'all. That means that if you're willing, he will use you. And so my big question as I conclude is this, are you willing? Are you willing? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, God, we just thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this story of David and Nabal and Abigail and the, the lessons that we can learn from them. God, we thank you that you don't show partiality in choosing who you're gonna use to build your kingdom. Lord, you want, you want anybody, anybody who would be willing. And Jesus, we believe that you came and you died so that anyone who would call upon your name can receive salvation and will be called an ambassador by God. And so God, I pray for people in this room. I pray for the student who's doubting, the person in middle management who doesn't know if what they're doing is making an impact. I pray for stay-at-home moms. I pray for uh, anybody who feels like a fool in here. God, I just ask that you would show them that you love them and that you want to use them. And maybe for them, you already are using them. I pray that for those who that's the case, where you would open their eyes to see what you're doing through in and through them. God, we are just so grateful for your word. And so uh, Jesus, we just pray um, that you would move today, that you would stir us up to live life on mission for you and um, help us to trust you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.